There is something in Scripture for everybody. Even, wait for it, even for prostitutes. You might feel that that, my friend, is a shocking statement. But I would remind you that Jesus said to certain proud religious people, the publicans, that is the tax gatherers, and the harlots go into the kingdom of heaven before you. Pride and selfishness are the worst sins, and millions will be lost through them, far, far more than those who will be lost by the disreputable sins. And again, which one of us has not prostituted the gifts that God gave us for service? Have we not all lived cafeteria-style self-service? Have we not taken his gifts and used them for our own glory? The gospel is a complete gospel, my friends. It saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. It was the publicans and sinners that gathered around Christ when he was here on earth, and it's the publicans and sinners now that respond to him. The scripture warns us against the 99 just men that need no repentance. They're the ones that think they need no repentance, who think they live respectable lives, who think they're good enough. Well, let's take the story. I'm reading to you from Luke chapter 7 and verse 36 onwards. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to food. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner. This was a lady of the night. When she knew that Jesus sat at food at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And she stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and had wiped them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Now we see Jesus as the defender of the weak. Notice. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Well, Master, say on. And Jesus said, There was a certain creditor that had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, The creditor frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of the debtors will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And Jesus said to him, You have rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered into my house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint. But this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto you, her sins which are many. Please note, God does not condone our sins. Her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, meaning Simon, The same loveth little. And Jesus said unto her, Thy sins 
Arkel given. And they that sat at food with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgives sins also? But he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. My friends, this is one of the very few things in the life of Jesus that God has seen fit to record in all four Gospels. Because we find in Matthew and Mark and John a similar account an anointing of Jesus by a woman. Some have thought it was a different occasion, but almost certainly it is the same event. Luke has put it in a chronological place that's different to the others because he had been referring to the Pharisees rejecting the counsel of God against themselves. We find that in verse 30 of the 7th chapter. And Luke wants to say that not all Pharisees rejected Jesus, so he brings in this story of uh, the Pharisee who invited Jesus to dine. But almost certainly this is the very same event as John records in the 12th chapter and Matthew in the 26th chapter and Mark records in his gospel in connection with the verge of Passion Week. For it was one week before his death that Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to supper. That is, one week before the death of Jesus. How would you like to be invited to a party when you knew you'd be in a grave within a week? But Jesus went. I would remind you that the Bible is full of stories about parties or suppers. Feasts, they represent the gospel, not funerals. The gospel is a joyous thing and a glad thing. And Jesus was a social person who loved to go and meet with people in their homes. So here's the story of a party on the verge of the last week of our Lord's life, Passion Week. Think of the characters that were there. The self-righteous Pharisee. He could have had a hand in this woman's loss of respectability. She knew his house well enough. Then we have the woman who'd been the lady of the night, who sought to be unobserved, but when the odour of the ointment began to circulate, then she was perceived and criticised. Then there were the, the uh, disciples present, and we find Judas, his sensitive nose, discerned the expensive nature of the odour, and he spoke against the woman. And probably Lazarus was also present as a centre of attention. We know he was present. We're told that in John's Gospel. But probably he was a centre of attention, even more than Jesus for a while, because he was a man who'd been raised from the grave that was now sitting and feasting. But the ultimate centre of attention was the woman. Picture this woman weeping, then breaking the flask like a plastic container, this alabaster box. The tears falling on the feet of our Lord, and she uses her glory to wipe his feet. The scripture says a woman's hair is her glory. And so she kneels before him, and with her glory she wipes his feet. Soon criticism is making its rounds and the poor woman shrinks and wants to flee away. But Jesus declares in her defence that she has wrought a beautiful work upon him. The Greek word translated good, she has wrought a good work upon me, is elsewhere translated beautiful. She's wrought a beautiful work. 
Because that box, my friends, was a symbol of the body of Christ, precious, soon to be broken because of the love of God for sinners. We're told in John's Gospel that the odour of the alabaster box contents filled the house and the broken body of Jesus has caused the gospel odour to fill heaven and earth. The fragrance of the love of God for a world that's not loved him. Just think of it. That broken box. His broken body. That beautiful fragrance. The fragrance of his sacrifice. And yet here we find it elicited criticism. To what purpose is this waste? These were the words of Judas. And when the angels look down and notice how you and I respond to the cross of Christ, how for so many it seems a waste, they must also utter the words of Jesus. To what purpose is this waste? As they think of the generous love of God, the broken body of the Saviour and the callous response of the majority of men and women, it does seem a waste. Why did Jesus defend the woman? Because he saw in her a love like his own. That's why. The fragrant gift that Mary had thought to lavish upon the dead body of the Saviour, she poured upon his living form. At the burial, its sweetness could only have pervaded the tomb, but now it gladdened Christ's heart with the assurance of one person's faith and love. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, they didn't offer their gifts to Jesus in his life, but with bitter tears they brought their costly spices for his cold, unconscious form. And the women who brought spices to the tomb found their errand in vain, for he had risen. But Mary, pouring out her love upon the Saviour while he was conscious of her devotions, was anointing him for the burial. And as he went down into the darkness of his great trial, he carried with him the memory of that deed, an earnest of the love that would be his from his redeemed ones forever. And so Jesus defended Mary because he saw in her a heart of love, modelling on his own. She had forsaken her illawful, unlawful trade. She had forsaken the sins of the past. He'd cast seven devils out of her life. And now she was giving him a response of love. Love, my friends, is what God is. This alabaster box was precious, expensive, cost more than a year's wages. God is lavish. God is generous. The scripture says his grace is according to his riches. God's just as gracious toward us as he is rich. And he owns the universe. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. My friends, if you feel a terribly bad sinner, a great sinner, I'd remind you, you have a great saviour. Whose grace is according to his riches. The Bible says he gives joy unspeakable. And that causes our cup to run over. He puts the best robe upon us when we come back out of the pigsty. He kills the fatted calf for us, we who've lived on pods 
and husks. Our God is generous indeed. The scripture says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. My friends, wouldn't you settle for someone who's able to do all that we ask? But he can do not only all that we ask, but all that we think. He can do all that we ask and think. Above all, abundantly above all, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's the generosity of our God, my friends. We should observe in this story that the different characters there represent us all. There was a self-righteous Pharisee. There were the disciples, well-meaning, but easily led and not aware of how precious Jesus was. There was one man there that had been dead and was alive, who loved Jesus. And there was a woman there who had been dead in trespasses and sins and who was alive and who loved Jesus. Please notice that the lost ones are usually critical, but the saved ones are usually loving. Which is true of you, my friend? In your home? In your church? It's so easy to be critical. I have failed that way myself a thousand times. More. We need to ask the Lord to cast that devil out of our lives. Censor never reformed anyone. When we censure people, we deprave them further. It's much easier to be critical than correct. It's the lost that are usually critical, but the saved are usually loving. Which side are you on, my friend? Notice too from this story that all must sacrifice. This woman sacrificed for love's sake. But when Judas found fault, he sacrificed everything. He sacrificed eternal life because Judas' heart did not respond to the love of Christ. He lost everything. All must sacrifice. We can sacrifice the lesser for the greater or the greater for the lesser. We can sacrifice this life. That is, we can be prepared to spend it in service that we might receive the gift of eternal life. Or we can sacrifice eternal life, my friends, for some trivia in the present. Would you also observe that if we want to serve Christ, It can only be done when we've broken the alabaster box of self. There wasn't the least reserve for self, for Mary. All that she'd had, she'd spent on the box. Mary broke the alabaster box containing the sweet perfume that the box might never be used for any other purpose. That's the outpouring of life to the uttermost. That life that asks no pay, that has no reservations in any direction, that life that's a fountain of love, bent only on expressing itself at all costs, all hazards, even though the casket of life should be shattered to pieces in the outflow. If we wish to reach a state of constant flaming love for God, we must be willing to break all the boxes in which is bound the subtle essence of our lives. Sometimes, my friends, it's a box of some secret almost unknown reserve in the will, a half-timid, half-fearful, holding back ourselves from some line of suffering, from from some lonely and strange-looking path, from some heroic duty or some ordinary duty. 
Sometimes we hardly perceive these reservations in our will. But this is a box to be broken, my friends. One of our boxes is a standing that we have with our friends. Every saint who ascends the spicy mountains of burning love and holy contemplation will find at every epoch in their experience that they have to snap some social cords and over and over again break some beautiful white alabaster encasement of human esteem and the judgment of dear friends. You can't help but be different if you love Jesus and people don't like you to be different. But if you're going to pour out the last drop of loving obedience on the feet of Christ, you will have to risk breaking the box of human esteem. Some have to break the financial box. Some will have to rejoice in being poor, that the pure spikenard of the Christ life might have no hiding place, but be poured out in a life of faith on all lines. Others must break the box of human affection and have all earthly love so rent asunder, utterly shut off, so as to have no other love but the all-melting, spotless, boundless, selfless love of God flowing through them without hindrance. Ah, my friends, we do not cease to love others, but they may cease to love us. Mary lived to see that her alabaster box was a fitting symbol of the spotless body of Jesus, which was utterly broken, and the spikenard of his life was poured out to the last drop for her redemption. It is an axiom, my friends, that the very life of the infinite Christ is poured through us in proportion as we are broken. And even after we've known great and wonderful experiences in the Spirit, there'll often be forms of will or desire or religious ambition that seem as pure to us as alabaster, but burning love, will and its extravagance, break them all for Jesus. As we break the boxes of our human nature and self-love, there's liberated from us the very odour of the Christ nature. The most fragrant characters in the world are those who most thoroughly break themselves and pour out their life extravagantly for the Lord. And those who give all receive the most, as it was with Mary. They may shock the conservatism of colder disciples, as Mary shocked Simon and Judas. But this hot-hearted pouring out of ourselves on all lines for Jesus will turn out in the end to be the very wisdom of God, the discretion of heaven. This is the last and sweetest stage of the Christ life on earth, my friends. The dying life. The life of sacrifice. The breaking of the box. That the fragments may fill the whole world. How much there is in the story? There's one other point we must make. There can be no acceptable service for God until our hearts are broken. Notice in the story where Jesus told about the two debtors that the one that loved most was the one who'd been forgiven most. Now, my friends, the trouble is that some of us think we've only been forgiven a little. The trouble is that some of us are so far from being prostitutes or wasters or rotters or scoundrels or rascals. Some of us are so respectable that we think we've been forgiven little. As a matter of fact, we think we've run up a credit in God's ledger, for letting him convert us. And we didn't need much converting because we were so good before. My friends, if we think that we are very good and that God is only to forgive us a very little, 
then, my friends, we can only serve him little. Did you notice it? Her sins of the many are forgiven. She loved much. To whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. This is not saying that she's forgiven because she loved. It's saying the opposite. She loved because she was forgiven. Remember, the point of the story was which debtor would love the creditor most? And the answer was the one that was forgiven most. The trouble with us all is that we're too good in our own eyes. We've not seen the depth of our selfishness. We've not seen the depravity of our self-centred lives, our willfulness in thought and word and deed. We've not given Christ his place. We've been ambitious for our own glory. We have loved ourselves extravagantly. My friends, think of the money we spend on ourselves and compare it with the money we spend for the salvation of other people, or for the blessing of other people, even in a material way. How often we've been kept awake at night worrying about our own problems, but how few are the nights when we've been kept awake worrying about the problems of other people, and how to help them. Simon the Pharisee, who thought he'd been forgiven little, Loved Jesus very little. He gave him no kiss when Jesus came to the house. He gave him no water for his feet. What do we give Jesus? Do we give him the chips, the leftovers, an hour on Sunday? Or do we break the alabaster box of self? Do we pour out all with no reserve? My friends, the only true Christian is an extravagant Christian. The New Testament picture of the Christians is that they seem fanatics to other people. Now, a Christian should not be a fanatic. He should be a well-balanced person, seeing the big as big and the little as little. But, my friends, it's the non-Christian who is eccentric because God is not his centre. He doesn't see what's big and he doesn't see what's little and he makes the little big and the big little. In verse 50 we read in this chapter 7 of Luke, He said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. However bad our past lives, however bad our present life, we have a wonderful Saviour who loves all, whatever our situation. And faith in Him, my friends, will save us. Faith in Him will give us peace. The scripture says he is our peace who's broken down the wall of petition between God and man, that wall of our sins, and has reconciled us to God. Because of his death you are acceptable. Because of his righteousness you are clean. Because of his goodness God counts you his son and his daughter. Believe it, receive it, and it is so. Go in peace this very hour. God bless you.